Week 14 is in the books. This is our instant reaction show. Hayden Winks, John Daigle. We go game by game. Really, every single fantasy-relevant player and moment will be covered today. Let's dive right into it, not waste any of your time. But if you are here for the first time, thumbs up, subscribe down below. I know you're going to enjoy it. Okay, here we go. Browns versus Bengals. First, Bengals win 23-10, to 10, extend their record to 9-4 and four on the season. Hayden, we got the Joe Mixon return to the tune of 96 yards. Jamar Chase, his old self, 10 for 119 and a score. And yes, by 13 points, the Bengals avenge their earlier season loss to the Cleveland Browns. So the Bengals, as a team, kind of same philosophy, win with defense, do not have that much uh, big plays allowed, and then they can win the game on the ground with Joe Mixon late in the game had a, a good return didn't play his normal amount of snaps Samaji P Ryan was out there more often than Mixon before his concussion but the storyline here for fantasy purposes at least is the injuries we had Hayden Hurst he was ruled out before this game Tyler Boyd two plays in dislocated finger he's ruled out early T Higgins was the surprise this is where I'm getting really tilted to start this show in practice was not on the injury report on, on Wednesday limited on Thursday, limited on Friday, left off the final injury report. No news from anybody this entire time. No pregame speculation. Reportedly, he had an injury in uh, in the warm-up period before the game. He sneaks into the onto the field, even though the coaching staff didn't want him to be on the field. And then, then we never hear from him again. Again, the problem, though, is he had his helmet on on the sideline. They didn't like remove him. They didn't rule him out. Nothing like that. Then they, the sideline reporter said this was a coach's decision that they didn't want T. Higgins out there. So we're all out here in fantasy land trying to read the, these injury reports, and we get nothing. So we have to, I think now, realize that limited, limited might mean more than what it had in the past. And we have to start reading into these, at least in cash game type of situations, because this is the second time T. Higgins and this uh, Bengals coaching staff have done this to us. And Taylor came out and said Friday that they created goal line packages for Higgins. And that contradicts what he said before and what you just explained. So I just don't understand like how the hell we get here. I, I don't know. I don't know what we can do except that if even if they're lists, uh, not on the injury report, if they're not getting in full practices, we just have to realize that the floor is lower than normal. But it, it's really just bad product for the NFL. I really hope that they come up with another designation or something or they find these teams because to be honest fantasy football and people speculating on the game is driving a lot of these tv ratings and this is not a good product um so yeah really really bad news for for people with t higgins obviously everyone thought he was in line for a big game uh joe burrow was pretty good all things considered he was thrown to i mean trenton Irwin, trent taylor uh there was a flea flicker touchdown but Really, the entire offense was going through Jamar Chase. Uh, Joe Burrow, probably with the most accurate throw of the entire week on this touchdown, a uh, little uh, post route that Jamar Chase was basically bracket coverage. And it, the throw wasn't so perfect just for the touchdown. It actually saved Jamar Chase from getting his head ripped off by the free safety. So uh, they weren't stressed in this game because the Browns' offense is so bad. An impressive win for the Bengals, all things considered, but... There's a huge asterisk on this game because everyone hates Zach Taylor this week for the T Higgins nonsense. And but we love him for you know what they have transformed really since the bye week for the uh maybe not the bye week, just earlier in the season with the Bengals offense. I do want to 
call attention to this play because it's such a beautiful dime for Joe Burrow that Jamar Chase had no clue he was going to throw it to because this is what single high safety, no movement from him. In fact, he shaded onto the side of Jamar Chase, despite there being three receivers on the front side, Jamar's not even ready for this ball. And it perfectly is pinpointed into his hip pocket. And all he can do is catch it before the safety even gets over top. I mean, what we have seen, again, we've talked about week after week on this show, just, and they've added a little bit more of the under center play action, turn your head, so on and so forth. But that huge stretch of the season where you just allowed your bird to be a processor. And when you consider that we haven't gotten a full game, it feels like, or back-to-back weeks of Joe Mixon, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd on the field at the same time with now a stickier offense from a series in, series out, not solely reliant on big plays. Oh, buddy, this is really, really good, plus obviously what the defense brings to the table. Yeah, that that last play that you showed, it was like the perfect encapsulation encapsulation of what's happening. Uh, I think the right wide receiver who's running basically the same route uh, has the easier throw, but you're just going to throw the ball to Jamar Chase no matter what. Let your guys win. So uh, to me, Bengals are the third best team in the AFC. I can't wait to see them in the playoffs. Uh, Joe Mixon, just to kind of re- reiterate, he was getting subbed out on third downs. He actually had the second fewest snaps in the game um, of the entire season among his healthy games. Um, Samaj P. Run's been too good to completely ignore. I do think that it's kind of like 60, 30, 65, 35, whatever type of split is here to stay. I don't think they can get rid of Samaj P. Run, who scored a six-yard touchdown. I still think Joe Mixon's the goal line back, but maybe those top five expectations that we had for Joe Mixon at times, probably closer to top 10 expectations. Mixon's 40-yard run, which is, I believe is on the screen right now as well, his longest of the season. So clearly still explosive and healthy and returning. Talk to me about the Browns end here. It's the second game of Deshaun Watson. Uh, Roto World had a funny headline where he was a little less bad in this game. Is that a pretty good summation of Deshaun Watson's day? Because on paper, it's 26 of 42, 276, one passing, one interception, two sacks to go along with 33 yards on the ground. So he still looks really athletic. He was avoiding a lot of sacks in this game. Only two two sacks for three yards. Um, Was able to scramble around a little bit. There wasn't those throws that were just straight into the dirt like last time. I still think that Deshaun Watson doesn't look all that good because there's a lot of plays inside the pocket where his eyes just go down and he's starting to try to create a throw instead of staying within the offense. And Kevin Stefanski offense, kind of you want that in rhythm passer to set up the uh, to hit on all these play action shots. And he just hasn't done it yet. There's still a lot of throws kind of in that intermediate part of the field, but nothing too deep. And a lot of these throws were this week were going to Donovan Peoples-Jones, who had 12 targets, eight for one, uh, 14. I think Donovan Peoples-Jones is pretty interesting for like next year's best ball uh, leagues. So I think that he he his skill set fits with Deshaun Watson long term, and he's kind of got that better in best ball pro- type of profile. And then David Njoku late in the game catches a ball in the flats for a touchdown. Uh, looked totally fine out there. Nine targets, caught seven of them. Uh, I think David Njoku, uh, you can mix in as like a top five fantasy tight end down the stretch here. I think like him versus George Kittle and these two different offenses, you really start to debate that discussion. Then Amari Cooper, the home road splits come up again, seven targets, only two catches for 42 yards. I didn't see anything with Amari Cooper. There's maybe one play where he's like kind of like holding his hip groin area, but for the most part, Deshaun Watson just doesn't look like himself a fully, but I think that's a partially a credit to this Bengals defense. Who's been not completely erasing offenses, but making sure that big play is not uh, hitting. 
This is still just 16 points, though, and 23 drives with Deshaun Watson under center. The Browns now also officially eliminated from playoff contention, even though it was trending that way anyhow. So just a test run to close the year. Passing charts, route charts can't tell you everything about a game, but this is really amazing to me what we've seen from Donovan Peoples-Jones because he was billed coming into the league, I believe, out of Michigan, right? As a great athlete who was more of a vertical pass catcher than anything else. And I'm not saying that this is like the full complement of route trees, but you see far less of this throughout the league when, you know, these second-year players or third-year players that are thrusted into the starting lineup and aren't viewed as like wide receiver twos or threes. This is really nice stuff. Like this is inside breakers. This is working to the outside. It's working the slot. It's as an outside wide receiver. Like I, I can't wait to go back since their season is over and really like through a fine tooth comb and like go through Donovan people's Jones as in isolation. Cause I really haven't had time to do it in every single week this season because he has really uh, showed a lot of promise, I think. And I, you know, big question if they tried to, replace him or improve on him and so on and so forth. But he's one of those, Hayden, I think what, what you're saying is if they don't, or if he's still like the wide receiver three in these packages, he's like one of those quiet um, real contenders for next year who could hit on big on value. Yeah. I think there'll be a lot of puff pieces in the off season. I think that he'll be the number two. I think they might try to address the slot position. They have David, uh, the rookie, but he hasn't done David anything. Bell, yeah. yeah. David Bell. Um, yeah. Th there's nothing big plays for the Browns. There's a lot of throws over the middle, but nothing beyond that. I think that's just the Bengals defense, man. They're always just better than what their talent uh, would indicate. Oh, Trey Hendrickson, uh, their star edge rusher uh, fractured his wrist, was able to play through it in, in through the fourth quarter to lock up this win, but he's probably gonna be out a couple weeks with a broken wrist. Not the easiest run in for them either with the Bengals. They are nine and four. Now they're first in the AFC North. It is the Bucks, it's the Patriots, it's the Bills, and the Ravens in the final four weeks. But, you know, th this is, like you keep saying, Hayden, one of the top two or three teams in the AFC at the moment in a real, real, real contender in different ways than they were last season. All right, Daigle, over to you. Vikings and the Lions were promised a lot of points, and they delivered with a combined 57 in this game. And the Lions now improved to 6-7 and seven on the year, two straight wins, five of their last six were what? Two and a half point favorites in this game and win by 11. Talk us through it. Lions also now just a half game away from their season win total that closed at six and a half in Vegas and pretty soft to close the year against the Jets, Panthers, Bears, and Packers. But in this one in particular, take an early 21 to seven lead in the first half due in part to... Jared Goff's first career game with two passing touchdowns at 30-plus air yards, which is pretty amazing considering he played under Sean McVay. And, of course, Jamison Williams, uh, who, remember, had four touchdowns of 70-plus yards last year at Alabama. And, of course, this one, a 41-yard touchdown where he genuinely didn't even run a route. Like, the, the backup safety for Harrison Smith just froze and didn't know how to play professional football. That was it. Uh, but, J-Mo, I, I know you're I pulling it up. Yeah can, yeah, can I talk through that one real quick? Because sure. to me, what is so interesting about this touchdown is there's no DeAndre Swift on the field and there's no Amon Ross St. Brown on the field. So Ben Johnson is in his damn bag here, okay? Because, oh, we'll get there. Yeah, 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 for there's sure. There's more in the bag, there. yeah. Um, What I love about this is it's all kind of condensed splits here, Hayden. And to me, what that allows is 
you know, this basically morphs into what a cover three scenario and 24 bites down, but because the route again is almost attacking and splitting those two defensive backs immediately when 24 does bite down or that always leaves him in conflict because three doesn't know if he needs to carry 24 doesn't know if he needs to carry and boom, it's like the perfect placement for this route because of that split at the start. And like Daigle said here, I mean, just completely wide ass open for a 40 something yard touchdown. We'd love to see this. Cause I think that this is just the first of many long Jameson Williams touchdowns in his career. In college, he would be like 10 yards like behind or in front of the safety. And the, they would still throw the ball over the safety's head. He's got like world-class speed. So this will not be his only long touchdown. That's a promise. Lions lead by 14 points. Uh, before the half, Kevin O'Connell, fourth and four at the 23-yard line, goes for it. Cousins hits Adam Thielen for a 23-yard touchdown. And honestly, that's a summary of how Kirk Cousins played because this was his best game by far of the year. Uh, some amazing throws throughout, even under duress throughout the game. Uh, Vikings, a little bumbled, though, before the half. From the five-yard line to tie the game with one minute remaining before the half, Kevin O'Connell calls a pat pop pass to Dalvin Cook, who hesitates before he hits the line of scrimmage. Ben uh, Ellison is running open. No, it's Johnny Munt running open in the back of the end zone, but Cook hesitates and he fumbles, giving the ball back to Detroit um, right before the half. So a little bit of a mistake there. But we move on. We go to the second half. Still a very close game throughout. K.J. Osborne, touchdown, 15-yard score. Makes it an eight-point game with a two-minute warning. And you discuss Ben Johnson just consistently going in his bag. On third and seven, two-minute warning, 150 remaining. Uh, trying to milk the clock, the, the Lions. Johnson puts Panay Sewell in motion. And he calls a nine-yard catch to him, moving from the left to right flats. And Sewell comes down with it, and then does, then does a little first down touch uh, dance to basically seal the game for them. But overall, yes, this Lions offense is completely humming, and it is a Vikings defense that uh, is the reason why we'll be betting against them in their first round of the playoffs. Like coming into this over the last month, they had allowed eight and a half. 15 plus yard gains through the air per game. Like they can't stop anyone at all in the secondary. So I do attribute it to a little bit of that, but also this Lions offense just continues getting it done week after week. Playoff picture wise, the Vikings are over 99% chance to make the playoffs, but only 0.1% chance of securing that first uh, round by. So this rest of the regular season for the Vikings is just kind of for show. They've already locked in their chances. Detroit 23% chance of making the playoffs according to 538. So they're definitely in the hunt. And I've seen some like like uh, circus sportsbook and some other models out there saying that the Detroit Lions are a top 10 NFL team if wow. you're projecting for the rest of the season. And I believe that this offense is very, very much uh, legit. And the defense isn't good, but it is better than it was early on the season. Amon Rossi and Browns going to have huge games. DJ Chark can pop off. The one thing I hate about this team right now is they still use Justin Jackson, and I think he scored a touchdown here, and we didn't get the Jamal It was Williams a nice cutback, though. Dance. Sure, I like it, but the DeAndre Swift owners, they don't love it, and my Jamal Williams, I didn't get to post that tweet. No, you did not. Uh, I've been searching for the dots of the Panay play, and you outlined this scenario. Dago, if they get a stop here, if this play doesn't work, the Vikings get the ball back, one-score games, which they, they've been 9-0 and this season in, and with Kirk Cousins playing that well, there's a chance for them to tie it you know, on their final drive around midfield. But instead, we get this motion from Panay Sewell, as you said. We've seen this, Hayden, from like 
Trent Williams, a few others, where it's almost like using a wide receiver to get up to 70% speed. It's doing the same thing with the offensive tackle, who's basically hitting the edge player or the kick out or whatever, because that's just like a bulldozer. But instead, they use it to their advantage with their right tackle, wide open in the flat, dives to the first down. I mean, this is great stuff. And I believe the Lions are top five in their usage of a six offensive lineman. So this was like a, t a tendency breaker off of that. So this wasn't just like some fluky play. There is, I, I think Ben Johnson... And it hasn't the, just been this year. You know, it was right. last year during the bye week. They got rid of Anthony Lynn and Dan Campbell because no, if I walked past Ben Johnson in Brooklyn, would have no clue what he looks like. You know, zero clue. But we all know what Dan Campbell looks like. And so he gets all the praise for this. But it feels like Ben Johnson has been the puppeteer behind the scenes. And it's, again, not just this season so far. It's not just 14 weeks. It's half of last season, too, when this offense was awesome and Alan Ross St. Brown exploded and now they're just adding pieces onto it it's great yeah i think he's going to overcome his lackluster name and become an nfl head coach next year his this offense is so legit it's so much fun i love it it seems like they're pulling different pieces of all these different offenses too and look i i do feel like this is maybe changing the narrative of jared goff a little bit too much i still think he is jared goff you know uh, at the end of the day, but this is such a perfect and prime situation for him behind this offensive line that when we saw when it wasn't for two games, you know, they scored a total of six or nine points in those. But all we can really evaluate for this season, right, Daigle, is like what they're in. The offensive line is healthy and it's awesome. The running backs, the room scores a boatload of touchdown and they're number one, what, in fantasy usage then the wide receivers are now getting healthier with DJ Chark over his injury, Jameson Williams back, plus you have obviously Amon Ross St. Brown. And then as you said, Hayden, the defense goes from the worst in the league to average. And all you need is average play from the defense. Uh, DJ Chark's going to be top 30 in the fantasy usage model over the last month uh, with this game. And he's he's still playing all the snaps. Jameson Williams just mixing in a little bit. Diggle, I, I need to ask you, anything with this running back rotation that we can hold on to? I think that... DeAndre Swift wasn't playing like the passing situations. I think I read that. Do I have that right? Yes. Another game with just 10 touches and he did pop up in the injury report early in the week. So I'm not sure how much to attribute to that because he still looked explosive when he was out there as he always does. But the fact that we go back down to a forgettable amount of touches is certainly concerning. Also, you mentioned the Lions defense now hasn't allowed a player to rush for 90 yards since their bye week. So that's where they've really uh, shut it down. And, you know, they're five of their last six wins now, or I guess six of their last, no, five of their last six wins now have come against Packers, Bears, Giants, Jags, and this Vikings team that the Lions were favored in. So I don't want to put too much credit into it, but it's a good thing the offense is humming along. And yes, that report this morning did make me laugh saying, you know, Jared Goff considered more than a bridge quarterback. Well, if that's the case, you're you're setting your franchise backwards. Like, come on, we need to- We'd be remiss if we didn't a little extra time on Justin Jefferson, though, like 11 receptions, 223 yards. When you also consider Daigle, his first matchup against the Lions earlier this season was what, like three catches for 18 yards, and that's it. So, like, you go from your worst performance of the season to posting over 200, like two Benjis. Um, it seemed I was going to ask you how they did it. It looks based on the route chart a little bit of everything. 
<laughs> it's everything, yes. Uh, Jeff Okuda also in and out of this game with an injury. He even returned at one point in the second half, which he didn't start. And literally the next play, Justin Jefferson targeted and tags him with a 42-yard catch here. But yes, we have to talk about when he breaks Sammy White's team record of 210 receiving yards with a career-high 213 yards. Sure, he's Justin Jefferson. He's amazing. He's on pace for 1950 uh, this year. So yeah, I think he has to average 125 per game to break that 2K threshold. Um, I'm not sure if he's going to do it because they might not even have to play him week 18 based on the standings. But man, this is one hell of a season. Going back to that, uh, the bracket game early on the season, it's tougher to bracket Justin Jefferson now that you have TJ Hawkinson. You know, like there's more skill players that can win. Even TJ Hawkinson has a pretty good game here. Uh, Thielen, Osborne both score touchdowns. So there's too many weapons to just sit there and uh, bracket Justin Jefferson. This is a well-constructed offense right now. So Jeff Okuda played. Does, was he taken out in some situations? Because he obviously injured. isn't on the He was injured. Okay. And injured uh, throughout the game, often on the field. Got it. Because here, and Hayden, this is kind of what I was asking for in their first matchup against the Lions. Why not put him in the slot a bit more and open that up? And obviously they did here uh, in this dynamic. Yeah, I mean, Jeff Okuda and his two-hand punch with the bracket coverage, they did a great job. But man, in that first game, the second one, what what a performance. And what we'll talk performance. we'll talk about it more in depth when we get to the Jets game. But you look at this last month against this Lions defense, and really where they're getting tagged is in the slot. Uh KG Osborne, five for 38 and a touchdown in this one. We'll go back to Wandell Robinson having 13 targets. Uh Isaiah McKenzie on Thanksgiving, Christian Kirk last week as well. And they get they get Elijah Moore, who is still available on waiver wires in the playoffs next week here's another one in the slot as well so you had two chunk gains of 40 and 30 yards out of the slot here for uh for justin jefferson interesting stuff all right we'll end it there with that game and now since you mentioned it why don't we just go over to the jets and the bills with the bills winning 20 to 12 extend their record to 10 and 3 and the jets valiantly drop to seven and six i'm gonna be honest guys this game did not feature that much electricity. Um, there were a couple key moments. On the Bills' end, uh, you had Josh Allen only going 16 of 27 for 147 yards and a touchdown. That touchdown went over to Dawson Knox, who made a great diving leap, almost front flip into the end zone, where Josh Allen was really key in this game because we know how great the Jets' defensive line is. They were rushing so wide over and over and over again that so often he was climbing the pocket running and why he was the leading rusher with 10 carries for 47 yards, his own touchdown score, another leap for a first down he had as well. But, you know, Stefan Diggs had one catch for something like three yards heading into um, the, or five yards heading into the third quarter. Then he got another one for 32 yards. Gabriel Davis was off and on once again for three for 31. So, the Bills mainly offensively just did enough. And then the Jets defense or offensively on their own just didn't have that little extra edge. And I guess what I mean by that is, man, Mike White was making some unbelievable throws here as well. And we'll get into some of those in a moment. But when he took two big hits, one from Ed Oliver, knocked him down, out for a couple snaps. The next one from Matt Milano took him to the sideline for a few minutes in that same span, Joe Flacco, sack, fumble, turned over. Then, driving 20-9 to nine after safety to Jermaine Johnson blocking a punt, you can get it down to a one-score game. Michael Carter 
diving for beyond the sticks also fumbles. So it's these two moments offensively when the other team didn't have a turnover, you had to, you couldn't, you know, surmount those, you you couldn't overcome them. And that was really the, the story here in an eight point game in bad weather, cold rain, all the sorts. Yeah, no big plays. I'm looking at Josh Allen's passing chart right now. And uh, there's one throw for 20 yards. There was a touchdown for 15 yards out, but everything uh, was underneath outside of that. Obviously, maybe his elbow plays into that. Definitely the Jets defense plays in that. Weather seemed like a problem here. So I wouldn't look too uh, much into this game. Um, running backs, it looks like James Cook only got five touches in this game. So it's we're back to like the Bills have to be really, really damn good for their running backs to matter if all three of them are playing. Well, I, I was going to say, and like it's it's an argument we made over the offseason where if the Bills running backs are involved, they're not as good of an offense. Like that means something happened to get these guys involved. We also discussed it last week when the hype on James Cook became too much. Like just three weeks ago, we were rugged for like 11 touches and he went back down to four. So of course this was in his range of outcomes. You did mention not being worried about this game. Um, and I do agree with you, Hayden, but at the same time, we do have this sample of this Bill's offense the past six games since week nine. And Allen has only averaged 6.4 yards per attempt. Buffalo's offense in that time has scored as many field goals as touchdowns for 2.1 points per drive, which would rank them outside the top 10 on the year. I know it seems like a lot, but considering on the year, they're actually second in points per drive. It's a huge difference. So like, Right now, genuinely, if you're running into like Josh Allen stacks in the fantasy playoffs, I don't think you're scared. I think you're hitting him at the perfect time. So I agree with you from what we've seen over the last few games, and that's the Patriots and the Jets. Coming up next week, it's the Miami Dolphins. Lots of revenge after that week three game. And that one's at home once again. So it's cold weather. And who knows how the Dolphins offense is going to perform up in Buffalo and you know, December. And then after that's the Bears. You know, we do get the Bears in the second round of the playoffs. So that's a deodorant. Uh, that that we have come to learn. And so maybe the running backs do get involved there. But to me, this is I'm not going to say an aberration, but the only one I'm really disappointed with is Stefan Diggs because we're so used to, you know, seeing top 12 wide receiver numbers week in and week out. The rest of everyone has just been so high variance that like, does a game like this surprise you against a really good defense like the Jets have brought and were once again in this game? It doesn't to me at all. Only 51 snaps. That's where, like, I don't right. want to, like, for for the Bills, not that many. But, yeah, Daigle's right. This offense hasn't been as good this year ha as it was the last couple seasons. And I just looked it up. Josh Allen still every single day on the injury report practicing in full. It's, he's still going to be playing through this. But the fact that he's still listed on that means that it's affecting him in some ways. I think part of that is the offensive line is just worse this year too. And so he's having to deal with pressure more. And when you deal with pressure, some of those pedal to the floor moments and living on the edge that Josh Allen does can lead to more negative outcomes uh, and can lead to ne negative outcomes. And they have more often this year is the, what I wanted to say. Um, now for the jets, there is something to say here because while he was only 27 of 44 for 268 yards and zero touchdowns, the teammates, Garrett Wilson, everyone are just going to fall in more in love with Mike White because what he is able to do in terms of stepping into free defenders, extra pass rushers, thread needles, third down, second and long, so on and so forth. It's been what this offense, they've been craving it, right? And it doesn't matter if he, you know, was playing against Goldberg and Edge and Roman Reigns here today, Daigle, to pull out some of your analogies spear after spear to his midsection over and over and he just continued to step into these throws like and they weren't easy ones they were you know 
17 yards down the right sideline from the far hash, did the same thing to the left sideline, did the same thing with Braxton Berrios on a play that looks like it is going to be, you know, cover two at the snap. And then the bills rotate to cover three. And still he's able to throw it over top of the cornerback that should be attacking that area of the field. What Mike white is doing is, and he told this to Jim Nance and Tony Romo, when you wonder why he kept coming back in this game, it's like your game tape is your resume. And it's not just this year that Mike white is trying to put good play out there. He's trying to do enough and earn the respect and recognition to be the undoubted starter heading into next year. And so that's why I think a gamer like Mike white continues to try to push himself in these scenarios when it was really bad going to, I think their seventh offensive line combination. The jets had two here. This felt like a moral victory for the jets, just at least stopping the bills uh, on offense. And then, Mike White just giving them something. And yeah, he had to go to the hospital to make sure his like kidneys weren't lacerated or anything crazy like that. Uh, luckily, he's fine. But you're right. To me, this game was about... I Mike White's a free agent next year or this, this offseason. But I don't see the Jets not having him on the roster. Will that mean he's the starter? I don't know. But I do think that he's at least going to compete and probably be the long-term future at the... Like if it's Jimmy G versus Mike White, they sign both of them. I think Zach Wilson's out of here. I think he's going to get traded. Mike White means too much to this locker room. There's no way, especially Coach Sala, is a, he calls himself a player's coach. I believe in all of that stuff. There is no way you can get rid of kind of this off-field type of uh, bravado that they have. They're all wearing his T-shirts. He seems oh, like the, the coolest dude in the world right now. It, I hate you know using war analogies when talking about football, so I'll just quote when the players say it, but like Garrett Wilson and Michael Carter, who even had the fumble, said, like, I will go to war for this guy. Um, I try to prevent myself from doing this, but it, it does catch you in moments. Like again, bad weather, windy pressure, Zach Wilson would have folded in half in this game, or he'd still be backpedaling to his own end zone at this point, you know, because he's not stepping into these throws that Mike White's making. He's, he's not, you know, holding the football, uh, and, and trying to make positive plays like Mike White is making in the face of pressure. I understand they went what five and two with him. But you only have to go as far to look at in the opening 44 snaps, it was 21 passes compared to 13 runs. Like just the trust factor of everyone to put things behind the white guy, it's right there. And they're speaking to everything. There's no way Zach Wilson can be in the fold here. And like you're saying, it's either a veteran or Mike White for next season. And between... Now, I will say, Daigle, just real quick, there is no way Joe Flacco should be the second quarterback here because like if the same injury hits, he looked toasted. And so I at least would advocate for Zach Wilson to be uh, active and be the second quarterback moving forward. The argument against Zach Wilson outside of him just being Zach Wilson is that if you factor in Corey Davis and George Fant's contracts, uh, rookie deals for Elijah Moore, Garrett Wilson, who actually broke the Jets' rookie receiving record through only 14 games today, too. Um, and then, of course, Mekhi Beckton, wherever the hell he's at, Brees Hall, Michael Carter. Like, you got like a two-year window, honestly, you're working with here before things really ramp up. So you know Zach Wilson like is not your person in the next two years. That's It's that simple. And the Jets lost Quinn Williams in this game. It doesn't sound like as significant as it was. It might be a high ankle sprain. Uh, George Fant left. Corey Davis left, I think, in the second quarter, the second drive. Um, and quickly, just to get out of here, with the Bills, there were some really cool play calls. Like, there was this three levels that kind of put Sauce into a really difficult situation here on the Dawson Knox. 
touchdown because you had you know the vertical shot to Stefan Diggs that obviously Sauce travels with. Looks like cover three. So then once again, 88 wide open, 26 takes the linebacker underneath, and then boom. Might even be quarters, actually. And just knowing they able to travel with him. And then another very cool Dawson Knox play. We've seen it throughout the league now. You know, when a team is in shotgun, the tight end comes down to take a quarterback snap and then sneak it forward for the first down. They almost used a, I know what you know, what I know, what you know type thing. And so Dawson Knox, they got one of those fourth and one scenarios. Dawson Knox motions in, gets under center and does a hard count. And so CJ Mosley dives over top and tackles him. So they get an automatic first down there. Just pretty cool stuff. I, I've tweeted that exact thing and got like three likes. I had to delete it. <laughs> but now it's cool. Cool, guys. It was cool. Um, all right. Let's go over to Chiefs at Broncos. So this game off to a 27 to nothing lead by the Kansas City Chiefs ends up being 34 to 28. The Chiefs are able to hang on, dare I say, through a miraculous seven reception, 112 two touchdown performance from Jarek McKinnon. How the hell did this one happen? Did none of was us I, have this game? Was I supposed to watch this? No, I don't <laughs> think. We, I, I think this is the one game we didn't claim because because why would anyone ever watch the Broncos? Like this, this was the first touchdown by a Broncos oh, wide receiver at home this year, and Jerry Judy had three of them, and they were like you said, they were down twenty-seven nothing. Again, why were we supposed to watch this game? Who cares? This is awful hosting job by me. Yeah. I, I, when you pulled it up, I was like, oh, I guess Hayden had the game. Oh, well, I will, I will say that I, I did learn a, a couple of things here. Jarek McKinnon, um, uh, one of the closest beat reporters for the Chiefs, said that they trust McKinnon the most. I know Pacheco iced this game out with some carries at the end, but Jarek McKinnon's usage is trending up as it did late last season. So Jarek McKinnon should be rostered everywhere. I'm sure he he already is. But I think that there's a chance, especially like NFL playoffs, best ball, that they just keep using him more and more. And they always are coming up with something new. Obviously, the fluky touchdown pass that Patrick Mahomes created where he just flicked the ball that he had all that yards after the catch. But Not so um, yeah, it was just a great game from from him. I have I did want to give you credit because while so much of the noise had pointed to Isaiah Pacheco as being like the undoubted lead ball carrier, the chalk, so on and so forth. Hayden, every single week in stats versus film and the rankings, everything, you've almost connected them side by side. And it's because the usage has been, from an expected fantasy point standpoint, has been similar. And there's no clear goal line back on this offense, as we saw once again with Jared McKinnon getting one of those touchdowns. So it's almost in any given week, anything can happen. And as you said, you know, the 56-yard score just allows a massive ceiling for Jarek McKinnon. But it really is like at the end, you know, they needed some power for running. That's when Isaiah Pacheco can thrive. But it's such a, a, a team that can create in so many different ways between the 20s, inside the 20s, that Jarek McKinnon is a pathway to get there for obviously a much more discounted rate than a lot of these other pieces are. So My only... Uh, other note for for this game is Juju Smith-Schuster obviously had a great game in the box score, uh, ran around 38 to 44 dropbacks. That was just kind of a one-week fluke uh, coming off that concussion. He should be treated as an upside wide receiver too because they're not getting anything from MVS anymore. Justin Watson's like be, he's like basically a, not full-time player, but like a two-thirds type of player, and he's just a goose egg in the passing game. That makes it much easier for someone like Juju to erupt. So um, Juju back up into like top 15 fantasy rankings for me. We don't have to spend, go ahead. 
Marlon Mack with a 66-yard screen touchdown as well, but he was only on the field because Mike Boone suffered an injury in the first half. We don't spend any more time on this. We'll dive more into Jerry Judy and uh, stats versus film. His eight reception, 73-yard, t- uh, three-touchdown day. And Russell Wilson did leave with a head injury, concussion. Look, he got a hematoma on his forehead as well. Looked real rough, so hopefully and he's doing okay. If Greg Dulcich is ever the most drafted tight end in Battle Royale, you know the rule. <laughs> don't play him. Just don't play him. <laughs> All right. I know one of you had this game. Kick into high gear, Josh. Jacksonville Jaguars stomp. The Tennessee Titans, 36 to 22. Trevor Lawrence, I'll say it, produces his fourth straight great game when you eliminate last week's injury contest. 30 of 42, 368, and three scores. What a day. You would not have guessed this was going to be the outcome either at the beginning because Derrick Henry, three-yard touchdown to open the game. Uh, Jaguars do score on their first possession, but then Henry on the second drive, 50-yard run. Uh, Titans answer with a a Conquo touchdown, and so they take an early 14-7 lead. Henry has 11 carries for 96 yards in the first quarter alone. But from that point forward, four Titans turnovers, which allowed for 17 points off those turnovers for the Jaguars, and they score 26 unanswered to basically take a commanding lead. Trevor Lawrence, to your point, since week nine now, a 72% completion rate for 1,300 passing yards, 10 touchdowns, and most important of all, no interceptions. As the Jaguars, who are only 5-8, and eight, yes, but they do move to become the only team in the AFC South with a positive point differential. The other teams are at least negative 40. Like, don't even matter whatsoever. Uh, Trevor Lawrence also today completed all four of his passes against the Blitz for 76 yards and a touchdown. So just delivering at will. Even Zay Jones had a nice little 20-yard touchdown tap, even though he has five drops in his last two games now. I mean, look, some people like to see the world in a half-glass-empty view. (laughs) I prefer a half-glass full. And I, I prefer neither. Just refresh, touch. refresh the box scores. No, no glasses. There's no need to watch any of this. Just refresh the box score. That you know. toe tap touchdown. Very nice. We don't have to think about the rest. Just talk about the highlights, you know? And also the Titans, de- Titans run defense. Cause there's someone in the chat asking what happened to Travis Etienne. I mean, the same thing happened to Travis Etienne that happens to every single pl- person who tries to run against the Titans. Um, Josh Jacobs has the most rushing yards against this team since week two. And it was 66 yards. No one runs on the Titans. You just can't do it. But as we know from the past two games, you can do whatever the hell you want through the air. And Trevor Lawrence again had success. Actually, Josh, 32% of Evan Ingram's total fantasy points on the year came in this game as he became only the sixth tight end in NFL history with 10 catches, 150 receiving yards, and two touchdowns in a game. Moving him around, motioning him into man-on-man coverage at will against the Titans. Love it. I think, you know, David Long, I was about to show this same exact tweet from Mike Clay, Hayden. David Long missing in this game because I think their other linebacker in is that Vince Cunningham is more of a straight-line downhill player. Not having David Long, it's not just for this week, it's moving forward for the Tennessee Titans, is a big deal. And, you know, Evan Ingram uh, made the most of it. Yeah, Evan Ingram now is the fourth highest scoring tight end on the season, and he entered it being the 15th scoring tight end. Burn it to the ground. Hell yeah. That is crazy. Yes, It is a huge week for late round tight end, and the person that most likely is going to win the Best Ball Mania 3 regular season prize needed this Evan Ingram score to take it home. So um, whenever Travis Kelsey doesn't pop off to the moon, you you can use these David Njoku's and Evan Ingram scores. And he plays... 
plays the Cowboys next week, so he's not going to score a single point. It's going to be awesome. I love tight end. Keep it coming. Uh, I can't stop thinking about Trevor Lawrence plus Calvin Ridley next season. It's just constantly you're playing in my head over and over. Uh, I mean, he's just threading needles, and he's he's eliminated those mistakes. I mean, zero sacks today, zero interceptions. I don't know if he had any interceptable passes or turnover-worthy plays, but, man, this is electric stuff that we're getting from Trevor. Uh, talk to me about the Titans. Derrick Henry goes 17 for 121 in a score, and everyone wants to know about Chigo Quanquo, man. Six receptions, 45 yards, and a touchdown. Yeah, back-to-back high back-to-back games at least five targets here so bumping a little bit i do wonder if it's because no trail on burks now in these last two games essentially so if burks is back from his concussion next week we'll probably lose a conquil because no tight end is safe outside of travis kelsey uh but yeah it's it's you know also a poor jaguars defense that the titans just didn't have any juice and lots of boneheaded mistakes those four turnovers weren't just two interceptions like it was also a couple of bobbled handoffs between derrick henry and ryan Tannehill. so just nothing on offense today honestly except in garbage time for the titans yeah when when Traylon burks was uh before his injury they were using a bunch of three wide receiver sets and that was a new kind of wrinkle to this offense they still haven't trusted Traylon burks to be into two wide receiver sets but he's been really good in three wide receiver sets and since that like like you said that's when the rookie tight ends getting involved he's only ran around on 25 to 50 dropbacks but they can't throw the ball to Nick Westbrook-Akine or Robert Woods. And even Mike Vrabel a couple weeks ago in a press conference said, like, we can't throw, we can't run this offense because we don't have anybody to throw the ball to. Basically a shot directly at this wide receiver group. And I can't blame him. That's why the GM got fired. All right. Next up, Buccaneers 49ers. 49ers dominate. 35 to 7 at home. Christian freaking McCaffrey. 14 carries, 119 yards a score. Two receptions, 34 yards, another touchdown. Brock Purdy, a very efficient 16 of 21 for 185. It certainly looks like domination on both sides of the ball, Hayden. Yeah, Brock Purdy, the big thing is those rookie mistakes that you're just waiting for just didn't really happen. There was one that got an uh, interception that got called back uh, due to penalty but he's just running the offense very well and getting the ball to his playmakers. Christian McCaffrey was obviously the star of the day based off of the box score, had a couple of great runs here. Uh, the offensive line right now is holding up for the most part, which is a, a new thing for the, the 49ers. Their offensive lines kind of gone back and forth. Uh, Christian McCaffrey uh, gets his toes in on a, a great throw from Brock Purdy, but right now Shanahan's just in his bag. Uh, the other storyline here, obviously, or real quick for Christian McCaffrey, that's I think 43 of 46 snaps before the game was completely iced away. Uh, there is no Jordan Mason. No TDP was an inactive. So CMC is right there with Austin Eckler and Josh Jacobs as like the elite fantasy assets. Um, go but, ahead. Yeah. Before you go over to the negativity, and I understand that there is some because, you know, Debo Samuel got hurt. Uh, I did want to shout out Brock Purdy because we talked about it all offseason, what Trey Lance might bring to the table of outside the number throws. Uh, these were the first two touchdown passes that the 49ers have hit of 20 plus air yards that were outside the numbers. Not saying that they're repeatable every single week because, you know, the Brandon Ayuk one took a while to get there. The other Schemed one was up. Christian McCaffrey in an isolation route, so on and so forth. But that's just cool, man. That's cool. We've Jimmy's played really well this year, and this is even a little element that Jimmy hadn't even brought yet. Those two touchdowns, 20 yards downfield, outside the numbers, also are as many as Jimmy Garoppolo has in the last three years combined. Yeah, those are those are schemed up 
throws. So credit to Brock Purdy for being able to hit them. To me, Brock Purdy doesn't have the accuracy of the arm strength of like an NFL starting quarterback, but he definitely has the brains for it right now. And he can move around. And you have that kind of combination with Shanahan and these skill players, you're going to be good. Obviously, the storyline here is Debo Samuel. He gets rolled up on the listed as an ankle injury. Some of the Twitter doctors think that could be ankle and knee. The reports after it were that he avoided a serious injury. Now that could just be like the difference between a complete season ending, uh, like fractured ankle versus a high ankle sprain. A high ankle sprain would still be very serious for anybody that had uh, Debo Samuel for the stretch run here, um, especially because the 49ers look good for the playoffs. I'm expecting him to miss multiple weeks here with an ankle sprain, something like that. But the fact that he's not out for the season for now, you have to take that as a win. He was carting off crying the whole thing. Uh, ankle sprains hurt like crazy man um and he had an awesome touchdown run to the edge that it always looks like when Debo gets the edge there's only like a yard of room to turn the corner he turned it and gained another 10 yards for the touchdown damn people people are gonna debate this and it's I don't know where I stand on it for this offense to work you have to do the dirty work between the tackles where a lot of these injuries happen Trey Lance was one of them Jimmy G obviously this Debo Samuel one but man makes this offense so explosive that Debo Samuel pitch run where he breaks it uh, for a touchdown. And then this one cuts it up the middle, gets rolled up on. Uh, even Jerry Rice was co calling out Shanahan after this game for the skill players all getting injured. It's a very hard thing to debate here. Um, but as long as Debo Samuel's back for the playoffs, I do think that this 49ers team can win with Brock Purdy. He's not a great quarterback, but if I think that there's an above average offense, even with Brock Purdy, because Shanahan's in his back. The 49ers also doubled up the books in 15-yard passes through the air. 15-yard gains through the air on 23 attempts compared to Tom Brady's shitty 55 attempts. Uh, one last thing before we get over to the Bucs side. What I love about Christian McCaffrey, and look, we always see him split out wide. You can see George Kittle's in the backfield here next to Brock Purdy and shotgun. Remember they did this on a third down against Zaven Collins, and it was an isolation, and Christian McCaffrey basically gave him an outside step and caught up for a slant, and it was a third and seven, and boom. If you are protecting... Inside leverage, which 26 is doing here, Christian McCaffrey, you have to stay honest and, you know, keep this vertical route as an option. And he catches it for a score. Like having this in your bag gives you that element of, again, choice routes, slants, inside breaking routes, win in isolation as an out wide wide receiver, because now you're terrified and the threat is always there for Christian McCaffrey to be on the outside. All right. Now for the not fun stuff. Um, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they currently still have a 73% chance of making the playoffs according to 538. Nobody want, really wants that, to be honest. This offense is just broken. And it makes sense. We all talked about it. The offensive line versus defensive line was probably the mismatch of the week. Tom Brady was under pressure a ton here, leading to a couple uh, mistakes, including an interception. Um, but to me, Tom Tom's accuracy is just not all the way there. And there was a couple throws to Mike Evans in particular that did not get the job done. I thought Mike Evans should have scored a touchdown on one of these throws, but Tom Brady kind of like back shoulders it towards his like toes. Not the greatest look. Obviously, Mike Evans comes back, uh, gets a 68-yard touchdown, called back because Donovan Smith, who's having a horrendous season for his standards, with a holding call. So the worst run up possible for Mike Evans, but this game was in, over immediately. This passing chart does not surprise me. Tom Brady was under pressure the entire time. And I think part of it is because of the offensive line, obviously the 49ers and specifically Dre Greenlaw, one of their linebackers deserves a bunch of the credit, but man, I'm starting to get a little bit worried about Mike Evans ability to create separation and Chris Godwin's 
right now. Chris Godwin's quietly become a contested catch receiver. He did make a play downfield. He still has good. He's very physical still. Still could win at the catch point. But everything beyond that right now, we're really not getting it at all. And that's become a huge issue. There's no Gronk after the catch. Nobody's after the catch. And then even Rashad White, who started the game, the second play of the game just kind of encapsulated the, the backfield. Both of them are in. This is going to be a rotation. Rashad White at the end of the game in complete garbage time fumbles the ball to make his situation even worse. I don't know what the Bucks could do well right now because their defense is so injured. Vita Vea is out uh, or was out for, for most of this, this game. The coaching staff is bad. Tom Brady doesn't look the same. The skill players don't look the same. If the Panthers win this division, I would not even be that sad anymore. 4.1 yards per play in this game, 25% conversion rate on third down. They haven't scored 23 points in nine consecutive games. They suck. Like I don't I don't know what else to say about this Bucks offense. They're not good. Yeah. I mean, we we gave up on them a few weeks ago after, you know, early in the season thinking they could turn the corner. And right, when Donovan Smith is wanting hugs out there and there's no Tristan Wirfs, like it's it's just not getting better. There's nothing for them to like a flip a switch and I mean, look at all these look throws at that. less than seven yards. Look at that. When you're That's trailing by, you know, 30 points, 28 points at halftime. Oh, yeah. What, and what's, like, like what you said, that target to Mike Evans, I think it was on a fourth down when Tom Brady also hits his thumb on a follow through. It almost looked as if he, and it wasn't along the sideline, but throwing it to his back shoulder. And there was no reason to throw it to his back shoulder there. It was just like a bad choice because. Actually, the open space was in front of Mike Evans for a team that looks so good. These last like the final portions of the season when they won the Super Bowl all of last year, when Tom was legit playing like a Super Bowl contender, it's dissolved into nothingness. Like it's it's hard to watch beyond and, that. And it's Donovan Smith's uh, career high 10th holding penalty like in week 14 already. So if anything, you should come to expect it rather than considered an anomaly here. And he's had like false starts as well. It's not even just the holding. The whole the whole thing is a mess. Uh, for Rashad White, uh, runs around on forty or twenty one of fifty eight dropbacks. Leonard Fournette actually had more with thirty of them. Uh, that I hate to see that fumble. Rookies start fumbling, and all of a sudden, this coaching staff has to make some changes. Also, Rashad White kind of runs a little more timid than I would like. I, obviously, playing behind this offensive line is going to be an issue. But I haven't seen anything like who who do we think is all of a sudden just going to start playing better? on the Buccaneers right now. I don't think so. So I think actually there's a little bit of foreshadowing. This is kind of a side plot before the game. Tom Brady's taking a lot of pictures of the stadium. He had a hundred people in the stands. There's all these narratives about this. And obviously he's a free agent. We'll see what happens. I wouldn't, even, I would actually, I'm rooting for him to go up in the booth. I would rather have him announce some games and I don't need to see this old Tom. Now, Brady he's played forever, but this is the only, the second time he's played in San Francisco in his career. So I think part of it is that obviously the nostalgia of, Becoming a football player because you went to the games growing up, growing up, what, 25 minutes away. Anyways, we you all heard enough about that story heading into this game that we don't need to repeat it anymore. Uh, speaking of the NFC South, let's go over the Carolina Panthers. Shockingly to most, but not to John Daigle, covering and even beating the Seattle Seahawks 32-24. Really, this comes down to the Panthers having 46 carries on the ground compared to 14 passes. In the opening almost two quarters, the Panthers were the hammer on every single snap to the point that they went up 17 to nothing in this game. And early on, it was Deontay Foreman got the start and was getting smaller and smaller carries and yardage gains. Chuba Hubbard would check in and they've actually both finished with 74 yards. Um, they get a touchdown early on. And in fact, a lot of their passing 
production came from, again, hammering the middle. But then in RPO situations or jet sweep situations, you had the motion for LaVisca Chenault as almost an extended handoff, and he would just barrel into any cornerbacks and defensive backs on the outside. So you had that part of the Panthers who they really wanted to oppose the, their will on a Seattle Seahawks defense that has been struggling these last few weeks, and the second half was without Al Woods and heading into it without Shelby Harris. So like they could stop nothing. And then Gino starts really poorly. Throws worst game of the year. Yeah, starts to, and he's had some bad moments to start games, right? And his first interception was a great job by J.C. Horn peeling back from his cover two man, again, on the over route behind him to D.K. Metcalf, which was open a, a tad late, but a great play made by J.C. Horn. And the second interception, um, you can tell that Gino thought it was going to be offsides because of a hard count. I think arguably it was offsides. Free rusher in his face from Frankie Louvu throws it in the middle of the field interception there too but after that you know he throws rope after rope hits some great passes a touchdown toe tapping one to tyler lockett in the back corner another one to dk metcalf on a skinny post and then finish it with about 30 seconds left to marquis goodwin who actually finishes the day with five catches 95 yards and a score so all in all everyone got there that we were hoping for other than dj moore because there was no passing from the panthers downfield in the least and remember before they went on by Sam Darnold only threw 19 attempts. I was very skeptical about DJ Moore um, on that volume. The Panthers now, of course, who also control their own playoff destiny. And we want this. We want wildcard weekend to burn it to the ground. And all respect to Adam Schefter. But boy, he took an L on the Tony Jones potentially starting or some might have said starting over Travis Homer. Look, the first four snaps, the first 14 snaps, at the end of the day, Travis Homer has nine carries for 26 yards. Tony Jones, I think probably, and you guys can pull it up, five snaps maybe, four snaps on the uh, day. Travis Homer played 91% of snaps today with the yep. start. <laughs> yep. So, and uh, still didn't get home. And still didn't get home. And still, well, I mean, they were down 17 nothing, you know? Right. And then it was, it was thrown down the field. Um, for the Deontay Foreman enthusiasts, there was a two sequences that would leave you frustrated. Um he got three carries inside the five-yard line. Then the fourth one, Chuba Hubbard gets and scores a touchdown. Then another scenario where inside the five-yard line, the Panthers had four downs. They passed on all four downs, even though they were dominating on the ground, and they didn't come up with it. So that's why you get zeros at the end in the touchdown column. But again, 21 carries for Foreman. There were stretches where Hubbard and Blackshear, you know, rotated in and out, and Foreman was on the sideline. But at the end of the day, I think that this is after their late bye week, we can expect to see this a bit more because Sam Darnold was a bit chaotic at times. They're really going to try to assert themselves on the ground immediately in contests. A little more of a blowout than the score shows too, since as you mentioned, that Marquise Goodwin final touchdown to make it a one-score game um, on that late flag that really helped out Geno Smith. He could just sit in the pocket and wait for something to develop, knowing it was a free play. Yeah, it's a... Uh, I would think that also Tyler Lockett, when you go back and watch this game, helped out Geno a ton here. Like three or four toe-tapping catches that maybe five other receivers in the league make. Yeah, Lockett's still amazing this year. Um, Josh, real quick, for playoff pictures, uh, it's pretty simple. Next week, the Seahawks play the 49ers. If they win, they have a 78% chance of making the playoffs. If they lose, 33% chance of making the playoffs. So it's basically a playoff game next week for the Seahawks. And then for the Panthers, they played the Buccaneers 
uh, I believe, in week 17. If they win that game, they make the playoffs 58% of the time. If they lose it, it's down to 2%. So these are two basically playoff games. All the rest of the games matter a little bit, but those are the two big ones. Struggle city right now for the Seahawks defensively, um, especially on the interior of that defense. All right, Daigle, if I was a better host, I would have put this game earlier. 17-point spread. Dallas Cowboys, one of the hottest teams in the league, an offense that cannot be stopped narrowly. And I mean narrowly in the end after preventing a Texans drive fourth and goal when come out victorious 27 to 23. How the hell, John, was this game so close? The Cowboys absolutely not worrying about this game and just overlooking it. Uh, the first time in Dak Prescott's career, he's thrown nine interceptions in the first eight games of the season. And it didn't look like it would be like this outcome in the first quarter. Uh, even on the opening drive, Zeke Elliott, 33 yards. Tony Pollard, 22 yards, including an 11-yard touchdown. Cowboys go up after Tony Pollard's second touchdown in the first half, lead 14-10. to 10. Um, And then... With the Texans rotating quarterbacks, each playing 33 snaps in this game, literally rotating Davis Mills and Jeff Driscoll every series. Jeff Driscoll, mind you, who Lovey Smith, Smith said in his postgame presser, was the team's secret weapon that they didn't want to talk about. Uh, Chris Moore, a few 30-yard catches here, spikes over 100 yards. Trevon Diggs also injured in this game in the same game that Jaron Curse, their starting safety, gets injured in warmups as well. So a little bit leaky in the second half. But overall, what happens is that up by three, going into the final minutes, the Texans go forward on fourth and goal from the two-yard line, uh, trying to put this away and get stuffed on a quarterback sneak. So this Cowboys offense that has been terrible for the entire game now has two minutes to go 98 yards and score. And Dak Prescott, this is the practically only takeaway from this game, is that when it was time to put up or shut up, the Cowboys were amazing. Two spectacular 18-yard gains from Dak Prescott over the middle to Noah Brown and Dalton Schultz, and then eventually get to first and goal with a chance to win the game. Uh, Gallup had an end zone target that he looked like he hauled in, got hit hard even though it, both his feet touched the ground with the ball. They called it incomplete. The very next play, Zeke runs it in with nine seconds left for the go-ahead touchdown. His sixth straight game, actually, with a touchdown, the longest streak by a Cowboys player since Emmett Smith back in 1995. So at the end of the day, the Cowboys put it away. But yeah, a real struggle here. And honestly, all the Texans had outside of a few splash plays from Chris Moore was Damian Pierce, who is now also only the seventh player drafted and the fourth rounder later of the Super Bowl era to record at least 200 carries and 30 catches as a rookie. Impressive stuff. Yeah, I think he's going to be somewhere like a fourth round pick for, for next season. But um, like you said, the, when the Cowboys needed to make a play, they made a play at the end of the day. And sadly for the Cowboys right now, uh, they basically have no chance, like a 10% chance of getting that that bye week because the Eagles won as well. And they're going to be the five seed because of the way that the wild cards uh, sit. So they're going to be playing either the Panthers or the Bucks, And we already know that we can plan for it for NFL playoff best ball. I laughed about the rotation between Davis Mills and Jeff Driscoll. You should. But the crazy thing is they would almost worked. Like the two have very different skill sets where Jeff Driscoll is like this mobile quarterback. Davis Mills is this supposedly, you know, pocket statue who reads the defense. But they even rotated them in the same series, right? It wasn't series in and series out somewhat. The fact they know. ended up playing the same number of snaps is That's actually hilarious. amazing considering they rotated throughout. Yeah. 
I I don't know if I even have time this week to like dig into how CD Lamb in the day just goes six targets, five receptions, thirty three yards when the whole season his utilization has been so incredible because they haven't just lined him up as like an X wide receiver. They've gotten him as the motion man. They've gotten him in the slot. They're using him in a whole bunch of different ways. But man, Dalton Schultz coming up big on that fourth uh, quarter drive. Ezekiel Elliott coming up big for, you know, touchdown runs as well, finishing with 62 yards and a touchdown. And then what we're seeing from Dak, and you don't see this a lot, like across the league, but in like less than three seconds, he's going front side one to two to three to four. And then that fourth is Tony Pollard, who, you know, is wide open for these check down touchdowns. And then boom, he runs it in. Like, it's just, again, that processing less than three seconds that Dak has command. Uh, I'm just really glad that after scheme last week, we get to promote that for another week. And they didn't just bottom out as 70, 17 point favorites here. So. And his picks again today were terrible decisions. But at the same time, I just chalk it up to looking past your opponent because it's the Texans, your 17 and a half point favorites. Who cares? Texans legend Chris Moore, by the way, no Nico Collins, no Brandon Cooks. We know who the ball is going to. That's about three or four straight weeks where Chris Moore has hit his higher. I love it. To, to be honest with you, I wouldn't be shocked if we don't see Brandon Cooks the rest of the way. And oh, so, yeah, yeah, you know, th- Chris Moore I, I could heard he's be a Cabo thing the right rest now. of the season, you know? Yeah, he's on a beach somewhere. I love that Zeke is heating up just in time for, uh, to let Tony Pollard walk too. perfect timing. There you go. Okay. Ravens and Steelers. Um, Hayden, talk me through it. Ravens win 16 to 14 in a game. I don't think I saw a single highlight from Tyler Huntley gets knocked out of this one. And Anthony Brown comes in. Both quarterbacks get injured here. Tyler Huntley uh, with a concussion. And I believe that they play next Saturday. So they even be trickier for him to Saturday. Yeah. We have games on Saturday. Oh, oh boy. Oh, yes, buddy. Do. Don't look at the next two weeks. Do yep. not look at the next two weeks schedule. Like you're going to Weekends cry. are over, bud. Weekends are I over. Got ang- I got anxiety when I looked. Right. So I think he's going to miss. The good news is they already have a 98% chance of making the playoffs. The next week's game is irrelevant. Lamar Jackson can come back. They can take their time because they were able to squeak out a win on the road. The, the linebacker play for the Ravens, that's the reason why they won this game here. Nothing about the offense. J.K. Dobbins springs off a 44-yard touchdown. Two years ago, that's a 50-yard touchdown untouched, but J.K. Dobbins had a little bit of a limp. To me, when I'm watching J.K. Dobbins, he's got an initial burst, but whenever he has to open things up, that's where he still feels like he's not confident. Even after the game, J.K. Dobbins uh, told reporters that he's, quote, still not me yet. I'm just going to keep getting healthier. But the fact that he was able to to uh, rush for 120 yards and score a touchdown here, that he's grinding through this. So I hat tip to him for, for, for being out there, but he does not look fully right to me. Like I don't, I'm not a movement expert. I'm certainly not a doctor, but like you said, whenever he, his gait, whenever he tries to, you know, pedal to the floor, it feels like he can't lift his leg, like all the way up. It's like almost he's dragging it, you know, and the top speed just isn't there to take this, the house it's it's the most productive we've seen him all season long and that's awesome after a few weeks off but it leaves you big concerns i would say heading into next year even if it's like a strong finish to this season yeah i have like 90th overall my initial rankings for next year uh this week 28 snaps rankings for next year but we already have i had we're doing we got adp going y'all both are making i don't want to i want the season to end i don't want next year I went through this so people can do their 2023 draft. Sorry for, for working. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, you're right. Um, anyways, J.K. Dobbins, 28 snaps. Gus Edwards, 21. 
Kenyon Drake only nine. He had a fumble that was actually recovered uh, by his own team, but it was not a good look. Uh, Mark Andrews, his first catch was in the third quarter. What's um, happening? Well, he was missed like in the uh, kind of red area on the throw, but he doesn't look the same. There was no reason for them to pass the ball. They exited this game 42 carries, only 17 pass attempts. Um, Anthony Brown was like a transfer quarterback in college. It should be like zero expectations. So uh, next week's going to be tough for Mark Andrews, like where to rank him. There's a, definitely a drop-off, but like is the, is the David Njoku tier above him now? Like I think we're kind of at that point. Uh, he just doesn't look like himself right now. Because it's been really bad. He hasn't scored a yeah. touchdown in at least five straight games and might go beyond that. It's 17 yards, 53 yards, 50 yards, 63 and 33. Granted, you know, three games ago against the Jaguars, he had one or two touchdowns that he just spiked into the end zone and didn't catch them. But this was supposed to be our tight end to savior, <laughs> like supposed to be the guy to like bridge the gap between Travis Kelsey and everyone else. And it's not happening. Um, and it's rough because this is the in exact environment. I know he left, but where you would have expected Mark Andrews to be the focus of everything. And it just doesn't feel like it can get there. Prime of his career too, coming off of, he led the position in yards per game and then prime of his career just completely drops off. So I, it might be just injury related. Who knows? A quick note on J.K. Dobbins as well, because 43% of snaps, 15 carries to Gus Edwards, 13, no targets for either. Not really sexy usage, honestly, that I would chase. But then you look, and it's the Browns defense, and it's like, okay, I could I could be convinced to play anyone against the Browns front seven. Anthony Brown at quarterback, though, the, I think their team total is still going to be at like at 16, 17. Yeah, so 17 I, I would, I would not week, chase yeah. this. Yeah, I would not chase this. Uh, Speaking of that, Mitch Trubisky threw about three of the worst interceptions that I've seen. Um, just hanging defenders, robbers, so on and so forth, like guys that he just did not see underneath that were hopping up and coming down with these passes. Yeah, he made a couple throws that gave George Pickens and Deontay Johnson some chances, but on the perimeter, again, nothing over the middle. He had a couple of bad interceptions here, and that's why they lost this game. I do want to call out real quick, though, what happened to Kenny Pickett, just because it's kind of a narrative of the season. Kenny Pickett gets sacked, throws to the turf, kind of hits the back of his head. They put him into the concussion protocol. They tweet out that his... Uh, that he was cleared. He goes back in, gets three and outed, and then he goes back to the locker room, then gets ruled out. So this is another situation where in the concussion protocol, gets relieved and then goes back into it. So just something to, to monitor here. I'm, I'm not sure if Kenny Pickett's going to play. Uh, the Steelers are completely out of it. Um, but to my eyes, it's without question, Kenny Pickett is much better than Mitchell Trubisky. So if Trubisky is out there, I would be moving George Pickens, uh, Pat Fryermuth, and Deontay Johnson a little bit uh, lower in my rankings. I don't know what's happened either, but nine full games prior to week 12, Fryermuth, a route on 76% of dropbacks. These past two weeks, a route on only 55% of dropbacks, only five and a half targets per game these last two games. I don't know why they're using Zach Gentry more, no idea, but uh, his his usage is lessening as we move along for a position that already didn't matter. Yeah, he did score a touchdown. It was a, it was a great little play over the middle. Um, but yeah, Zach Gentry's always been just kind of a, a little thorn in his side. Zach, he usually overcomes it because Pat Frymer, I think, is like really, really, really good at football. Um, but yeah, it is a good point. They're using like more two tight end sets. This like Sims guy gets involved just a little bit. But um, it was like a bunch of prayers. Like a lot of these Trubisky yardage were just throws down the perimeter where George Pickens, Deontay Johnson makes a play. Two more games. Philadelphia Eagles bully, and I stress that word, bully, the New York Giants 48-22. They improved to 12-1 and this season. Jalen Hurts, 
217 yards, two touchdowns in the air. Miles Sanders, 17 carries, 144 yards, two scores. To go along with Jalen Hurts is 77 on the ground and another touchdown. It was funny watching this game early on because the Giants defense basically tested Jalen Hurts in every way imaginable in the first quarter of this game, and he just kept checking it off, okay? There was a third and six Giants defense because of Wink Bartendale sends five. He hits Devontae Smith with a simple out pattern from the slot and time and rhythm off his back foot, first down. Then third and three, the Giants once again send five and drop their defensive ends this time. In the face of a free rusher up the middle, a defensive back, Jalen Hurts, perfect time to Quez Watkins on an out route to the left side this time. Gain of 10 yards. Like, fourth and seven. Next one to Devontae Smith. They send five. This time, single high. He nails you over the top. It was a bad angle by Julian Love. But boom, hits you with a deep shot instead of these 10-yard out patterns. And then, so the Giants and Wink Martindale say, okay, enough of this blitzing. We're going to drop eight. Jalen Hurts hits A.J. Brown for a 33-yard touchdown. What looks like an over route, so the safety is out of position in that middle of the field coverage. And boom, the game is over after that because, you know, the Eagles just demolished the Giants up front. So this once again shows you the transition, the trajectory, whatever word you want to use of who the Eagles can be this year. And it's such an offense that is so complete. And even without, you know, Dallas Goddard, they've gotten Calcaterra. They got your boy Jack Stoll up to 20-something receiving yards today too, Hayden. They've got answers for everything. And while the Giants, again, started feisty and spicy to start this year, they just don't have the dudes for it right now without Leonard Williams, without Xavier McKinney, without one more player defensively, uh, Adoree Jackson. It was over from the jump. They are the first team to clinch the playoffs. They currently have an 87% chance of getting the bye. And actually, if they win these next two games against the Bears and the Cowboys, they actually don't have any reason to play in Week 17. They would have secured uh, first place. So it might be a little storyline. They have to beat the Cowboys on the road, though, to get there. But right now, the Eagles are playing. They can win in every phase, offense, defensively. They play like their best like edge rushers, like 20 snaps per game. It's pretty, pretty cool. A couple quick notes. Jalen Hurts has 12 touchdowns, 20-plus air yards this year. Had only three last year. Also, A.J. Brown, 10 receiving touchdowns. The first Eagles player with 10 receiving touchdowns since Jeremy Macklin, who Hayden has never heard of in 2014. Not only have I heard of him, uh, the best man at my wedding, I bought him a Jeremy Macklin jersey. Oh, interesting. Wow. Okay. Was this the same best man who uh, put uh, his – his name or like his championship title winning season inside of his, his different jacket. was this that Chad or Brad or Zach which one was that yeah all right. <laughs> I, I can't wait to see your wedding next this next offseason I'm sure it'd be way different um I believe that AJ Brown went over a thousand yards uh this season in this he game did. too I mean what uh what a team he- Eagles 156 rushing yards before contact was also the most yards before contact by an offense this season and quickly on the Giants, Saquon Barkley, because of the neck injury, it felt like even early on this game, like maybe it was the first 19 snaps or 18 snaps, he played half of them exactly. The game got away from them, so I think he probably played about half of them the rest of the way. Noteworthy, though, it wasn't just Matt Breida filling in for like a one-for-one replacement. You know, Gary Brightwell was getting in there, too. Uh, but it certainly they certainly weren't comfortable even when this game was as neutral as you could possibly get with a domination uh, that they were going to give Saquon Barkley a full workload, anything but Gary Broadwell actually came off the bench before Matt Breida. He started the second drive 
Um, yeah, so we'll just see. It's been tough enough these past five games with Saquon Barkley anyhow. So if he's going to be limited at all for an offense that is just losing the pieces right now, they just don't have the players. It's we need the Lions. We need the Lions in the playoffs over the Giants and the Commanders. So that's what I'm rooting for. Yes. All right. We'll get out of here with the Rams beating this the game. Raiders on Thursday night football, 17 to 16 with a two minute drive. Let's say for the ages from Baker Mayfield. Uh, I haven't gone back and watched it. I think objectively Baker Mayfield was terrible at football with the Carolina Panthers earlier this season, but what a freaking cool story and good for him to come out and do this. And it wasn't just simple stuff. He was hitting backside digs. The phrases that we love to say, difficult, intermediate, and downfield throws. Uh, who knows where this takes them the rest of the way, but I would expect Baker Mayfield to be the starter for the rest of the season. And I think best case scenario, either he earns the backup quarterback job to Matthew Stafford. If he returns next year, gets signed somewhere else, potentially and get a six round compensatory selection. There are few outs here for the Sean McVay Baker Mayfield dynamic for the remaining three games of the season. Yeah. I found myself kind of rooting for Baker Mayfield for like the first time. If he, if he's not going to be like a kind of, uh, and he really wasn't in Carolina. Yeah. Right, he, yeah. He was just kind of, if he just shows up to work, he was I'm just okay objectively awful in Carolina. Yeah, I, I'm okay. And he should just sit there under Sean McVay and just take his time. And when Matthew Stafford retires or gets injured, he should re-sign with him. I'm with you. This was nothing to chase here for fantasy purposes. There's nobody on the Rams that we should uh, be playing. And the, the Raiders, I'm going to say it, uh, start Devontae Adams, start Josh Jacobs, everyone else you could bench. This game was basically fantasy irrelevant. So cool story for Baker Mayfield. Uh, 145 of Baker Mayfield's 230 yards came on the final two drives and sure a couple good throws, but we should just attribute this to the Raiders coaching. Um, now the fourth game, of with a double digit lead that they've blown this year. I don't know which one is worse, like a 16, three fourth quarter lead over a quarterback who joined the team 48 hours ago, that 20, that 17 point lead over the Rams in the fourth quarter, Jeff Saturday's debut or uh, being up 17-0 in the first half against the Chiefs. They blew it all. It's it's all collectively so, so, so bad. And I think there was a time where they could have gone for it in fourth down. They do not. And instead, they kick it, and the Rams get They're it so back timid. And, in every every capacity, oh they are God. just a timid offense, which makes no sense because you're going to have literally two all-pros at running back and wide receiver, and you were one of the most timid offenses in the league. Get out of here. They had a good schedule coming up, too. Like That was a must-win game. They weren't necessarily out of the playoffs. Now they're dead. All right. That's going to do it for us. Thanks so much for bearing with us. Thanks to John Daigle for fighting through it. Hayden Winks for fighting through it with me. We appreciate you all. I know Daigle, as you all achieved the first round or even a bye in your fantasy football playoffs, go and read his work over on 4 for 4 for the waiver column. I believe it'll still be up there. Something will be up there for content. Um, and it could be a big week. Who knows? Who knows? Go and check out Hayden and I stuff as well down on the channel and for the rest of the All right. That's going to do it. Up the villa, everyone. We'll talk to you all soon. Thank you.